Take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is where we're going to be. And a couple of weeks ago, we would started our newer series in the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, Pastor Dan continued that series with us last week. So we've been challenged already by a lot of different things that Timothy uh, is getting challenged by. We remember what the book is written, who it's written to and by. Paul the Apostle is writing to Timothy a younger pastor that he has left in the area of Ephesus at the church of Ephesus to help them in any way that they need to really focus their mind in on what God wants them to do. In the first chapter of 1 Timothy, remember he calls them to be faithful to God's word and to challenge those who are turning from God's word or adding to God's word to get back to what God has taught them in his word. And then we learned how um, last week Pastor Dan preached and taught on how that can even uh, work its way into our heart, that God challenges us to be faithful, hold the faith that God has brought you to at first, because we're going to be tempted at times to say, God's not true, God's not real, life with him is more than what I want to spend my life on. Um, but where Paul challenges Timothy, Timothy to focus on the fact that God is everything uh, for him and for the church at Ephesus that he is there to minister to. That brings us to the second chapter of Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and I've titled our message this morning, Revolve Around God. Revolve Around God. Now, that means that everything in your life as a believer and and one who understands who Jesus Christ is for you, God has brought you to salvation. What is your life now about? Is it about you? No. It should be about God first and everything else that you have in your life revolves around God. For many, many years, there was a belief among scientists, mathematicians, and astronomers that everything revolved around the earth, right? And here's, here's the old diagram of it. The earth was the center and all the planets, all the stars, everything that they thought was in the universe somewhat revolved around the earth. Now, this wasn't until the 15th, let's see, the 16th century that Nicholas Copernicus brought about the idea that the earth wasn't the center, but actually the sun was the center. And we were, as the earth and all the other planets and stars, were revolving around the sun in our solar system. Now, this, this, this was very hard for everyone to, to believe, and even the scientific community if you look into it, was that there was a big uproar. But more and more that they dove into this idea and this theory, it made more sense. And the world started to make more sense to them. The, the seasons and the, the way that uh, the, the life here on earth functions made more sense. Now, but here, before, when we had this wrong understanding of it, things didn't make as much sense, right? We take this idea and we apply it to our Christian walk, in our Christian life, that if we revolve ourselves around anything else besides God and His Son, Jesus Christ, it starts to affect how we live, what we believe, what we want out of life, the purpose that we think life is for. We, as believers, as Timothy is going to be challenged by Paul in our text today, should revolve around God. Revolve around God. And this, we're going to see in the text, is given to... Uh, given to Timothy on a personal level, 
but it takes it even further because we know this text. Paul is talking to Timothy as he ministers to the church that he's saying the church needs to revolve around God. That seems like maybe something that, why would he have to say that? Of course, it's God's church, but it is so easy for us to get off track as a church as to what we're here for. And if God's not a part of it, God's not the center of it, we have all types of other things that even the church can get focused on as being the most important thing. But what we're going to find today is the most important thing is God himself, knowing him more, learning about him more, and as we learn about him more, we're going to love him more, we're going to give our life to him more, and we're going to come into more peace and communion with God as we study him This is what Timothy is going to challenge us with this morning. And the questions we'll be asked in our heart is this, what does your life revolve around? And what does your church life revolve around? Does it revolve around God or does it revolve around other things, other things? Let's read our text this morning. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 to 7 says this. Paul writing to Timothy says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we look into your your word. Help it to challenge our hearts and even the way that that, that we've lived um, and that we live throughout our week, Lord. Um, Be with us as we study your word. Help it to affect us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say what Paul is challenging Timothy with is this idea, don't leave God out. Don't leave God out, and if we want to get even more specific, don't leave God out of your church life. Don't leave God out of your church life. Like I said, it's easy for that thought to, for us to miss that thought. How could, don't leave God out of my personal life, but out of my church life? Well, if I'm coming to church, if I'm involved in the church, well, then of course I care about God, but... How often do we do the things that we do because they've become something that we know we're supposed to do? It's, it's become just a habit of what we should do. And we come here and we go to Sunday school class. We teach Sunday school classes. We do ministry. But we forget that the reason we're doing all of that is so that God's message, God's word, and God's relationship can get out to people in our church and in our community. We have to remind ourselves continually Don't leave God out. Don't leave God out of your personal life, your thoughts throughout the week, the things you do each and every day, in and out. Keep God as the center. Revolve around God. Timothy starts and is challenged by Paul with this understanding to to keep God front and center. As you're ministering to the churches, Paul says to Timothy, tell them, focus on who we're here for. It's God. It's God. To know him more through his son, Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find in the text is that um, Paul gives Timothy three exclamations. Three exclamations. And this seems like maybe a weird way to explain it. But we see that he is exclaiming certain points 
an exclamation. You know what an exclamation point is? You put it at the end of a sentence. When you want someone to really pay attention to this and see the importance and value of it. And this is exactly how Paul starts this passage. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, he goes on. But he says more than just, hey, here are some things that you can really teach the church. Here are some things that they really should know and focus on. He says, no, no, I urge you to teach these things. If Church life will not be the same if you don't put the first things first and you don't put some of these aspects into what church is about. I urge you, teach these things to the church. He starts with this. And so what we find happening is that in the, the, this chapter 2, it starts a section where Paul is teaching Timothy certain ways and functions that the church should do and have as part of their services and their, their gatherings. So we're going to look at three exclamations that point us back to the fact that we should not leave God out of our personal lives, but also our church life. Exclamation number one, embrace the importance of prayer. Embrace the importance of prayer. Verse one, he says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings who are and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What we find here is the first thing that he urges is a relationship with God. And, and, and a show and a, a humility of the churches to submit to God. And we do that by having a, a very vibrant prayer life. And he's saying the church should be a church of prayer of communication with God, of recognizing everything comes from him and we need to continually go to him. Embrace the importance of prayer. Specifically, what does the text start with? It starts with four different types of prayer. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, we could look at these four different words, but as I've studied it out, what he's really doing is giving four different words for prayer for the purpose of emphasis. He doesn't just say, hey, just make sure the church prays. He, he says, make sure that the, the, the church is looking into every aspect of how they can pray and make sure they're continually doing that. And he, he doesn't, he, as he starts and he, he challenges the church, he's saying all these four different aspects of prayer, but then he says who they're for. It says, be made for all people. It's not just about ourselves, right? Sometimes when we have our prayer life, we think it's all about me, asking God for what I want, uh, and, and I, I put myself at the center of prayer, we're, we're putting the wrong person there. First, we're praying to God, but even this says, as a church, we're praying for all people. You know, that leads us to one aspect of knowing the people of our church, knowing the people of our community, so that we can pray for them, so that we can care for them. We're, we're giving all these different types of prayer. Supplications is asking certain things from God. Prayers, that word is more of a general idea of prayer. Intercession, again, is asking God specific things and thanking God also in the lives of other people. Be made for all people. All different types of prayer because it's important as a church to show who we're worshiping and who we're trusting in. Then he goes on in verse 2 and he tells us, verse 2, Four kings and all who are in high positions. So first he gives a general understanding to make prayer an important aspect of the church. But then he gets even more specific and he says, Pray then, as a church, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. He says those who are leading and guiding where you're living, your country, your location, pray for those who are above you so that your Christian life can be lived for God. Now, we can look at the text. The next section of it says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. We could take that out of understanding that what the Bible says and say that, well, God just wants me to have an easy life. We know that that's not what Paul is talking about because we could go to other passages where Paul is saying, if you follow Christ, remember that he underwent persecution. He underwent hard times. And so if we're following him, we can expect some of those things to happen. So what is our passage talking about? It says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, but then he explains that and he says, godly and dignified in every way. God wants us to pray for our president. God wants us to pray for our elected officials in local government so that we can live a life that is morally pleasing to God and we can do it in a way that we don't have to hide, we don't have to be scared, and that we can explain to other people who we come in contact with who Jesus is. God wants, and that is good for us, to pray for our leaders so that we can live for God and we can give the message of God to other people that are around us. And it's important because it starts with a prayer life to God. Prayer is an essential, and it must be an essential for you and for our church. Now, we can talk about prayer, and all of us, if we're asked about how important prayer is, we would say, well, of course, prayer is important. Prayer is important. But do you really believe it? Do you actually believe it? What do you think about when there's so many prayers in a service. And I think about our services. You know, pastor starts with a prayer. Pastor Dan might pray at the piano. Then we have someone pray before uh, or after a scripture reading. You know, and someone prays at the end. What do we think about when we have all those things? Does some of those thoughts cross your mind of, well, let's just get to the main point here. Let's get to the service. Let's get to the singing. And you maybe miss the point that, the first thing is first is God is the one we need to stay connected to as a church. How about, what do you think about when there's that one prayer that goes longer than you think it should? And we're all sitting here thinking, wow, is he, is he ever going to be done? <laughs> you know, he's going to pray about everything? Is that where our mind starts to wander and think that that's, that's something not important? Or do we try to rein in our thoughts and say, okay, I know God has this prayer happening from this person at a reason, and he's, he's teaching me something, help me to align myself and listen, train my ears to care about what's being said. What do you think about when uh, you hear there's going to be a prayer service? And maybe the, the important and fun things for you uh, don't include a prayer service. And you think, you know, oh, it's a prayer service. It's not that important. I don't have to, I don't have to be here for that. But what does this passage say? He said that it's important for our church. It's the very first thing that Paul urges Timothy when he's talking to churches, that they, they, he urges them to be diligent in prayer and connection with God. And I'll tell you, we, we had our uh, second Wednesday family study this last week. And uh, part of that study is we have all the kids together and all the people together. We, we do a lesson. But at the end, we spend 10 minutes or so splitting up into three or four different groups is what we've done and it was just encouraging to sit with a group. I had a group over here with little kids, 
and a couple of those prayed, and you hear a heart of a kid, and you're able to train little kids that how important prayer is to have that connection with God and communication with God. And it's just a wonderful blessing. And it's something that we as a church should not shy away from, but it should be something we want as part of our church. And we want to be part of as, as our church has that. Um, you, you, we, should, we shouldn't try to get out of it. We shouldn't be out wandering around doing things when prayer is going on. We should want to be part of that, to help train our kids, to help be part of our church that really is lifting up God and saying, if we don't have that connection with God, we're missing it. Uh, he's the one that's going to guide us. He's going to direct us. He's going to help us when we're hurting, all of those things. And we need to have that first and foremost as something our church really lifts up, as, as Paul urges Timothy. <clears throat> as we look at and understand that, we would see that prayer is the lifeblood of our personal life, but also the lifeblood of our church. Prayer in the church, what does it do for us? Here is what it does. Number one thing it does is it reminds us that church is not about us. Church is not about us. And the more that we put our time and attention into a prayer life, we are challenged with, okay, I th- I've thought it's all about me, but now I'm trying to empty my mind, focus on God, put him first. He's the one that I need to really focus my time on. It reminds us that the church is not about us. Secondly, it reminds us that we need God's help. We need God's help. When we humble ourselves to God, what we're doing is saying, God, I don't have the ability to understand you. I don't have the strength to fight against my sin the way that I need. God, I, I, we don't have the wisdom to guide this church in your direction. God, we need you. We need you and we need your help. Prayer reminds us that we need God's help. Everything that we, do needs, that we need to accomplish God's purposes comes from him. What else does it do? It reminds us that of our need of God is continual. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a prayer that we, we did one time and we're now saved. And is, you know, If we're a follower of Christ, we continually need to go to him for help. Last thing, it reminds us that God loves, loves it when we go to him. God loves it when we go to him. He, he wants to hear from his children. He wants to hear from his church. He wants to see the leaders in his church stand up and say, no, we got to spend time with God. We need to focus on God. We need to come to him. Have you ever not been able to communicate with someone when you're trying to get a hold of them? It could be even for a very short time where the phone's turned off or they're out of signal and you just can't get in contact with your spouse or a child or someone. You're, it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. What we find here is that God opens that door of communication always, all the time. And too often we neglect personally and as a church family to really dive into that communication with God. Paul starts by challenging Timothy. I urge you, tell him, be diligent in prayer. Pray for everybody the officials around us, the, the, the community around us, the people inside your church, lift up holy hands so that you can lift people up in prayer. The first thing he emphasizes as an exclamation for us is to embrace a life of prayer. He goes on in the text, and he, number two, wants us to embrace the desires of God. Embrace the desires of God. Have you ever tried to embrace 
something that somebody else loves, some sort of thing that they love to do, it's hard to do, right? It's very difficult. As I grew up, my dad was a big-time hunter, and he tried to get me as much as he could to go out deer hunting and to become someone who loves deer hunting. But as much as I've went out, you know, bow hunting, rifle, I just never had that desire to love it, okay? But I grew up, and he loved it. He spent his time on it. He got the, all the face paint that he needed, the doe scent, the, all the... And, you know, I can enjoy a, a good deer hunting story as much as the next guy. I like to, to listen to him, but it's not my, my thing that I love. And it's tough to get yourself in that, that mindset of loving something someone else does. But as we look at our text today, what we're going to find is that God has desires that we need to dive into and mimic in our own life. And it's not just something we can take or leave because he is God, and through his son Jesus, we should follow what his desires are. So in the text, we are going to be challenged to embrace the desires of God. Let's look at verse 3. It says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. That verse 3 is talking about the prayers that he just mentioned. It's good for us to pray and have prayers part of our life. But then he gives us a specific understanding of God's desires. He says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Then in verse 4 he says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now maybe right, 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 right away in your mind you start to think, whoa, whoa, that's, that's a really tough thing to understand. Well, yeah, I know God loves everybody, but doesn't Scripture also tell us that he helps someone's heart soften and he pulls somebody to him and God has, he, he has to be present in the con- conviction work and the salvation work. It has to be God's work, right? Yes, that is true. We, we find through all Scripture that God is the one who draws people. But also, we find in this passage that he also desires everybody to come to an understanding of him. So how do we understand those two things. God wants everybody to be saved, but not everybody is saved. That's a conundrum that really has been studied for years and years and years and centuries. Well, I think one person that helps us understand this well was, uh, is a commentator I read. He says this to help us understand it. He says, God does not will everyone to be saved. If he did, all would be saved because no one can resist his will. What we have here is an expression of the divine desire that brought about the incarnation and Christ's death on the cross. This divine desire informed and drove Paul to engage in worldwide mission. It is not our responsibility or capability to solve the puzzle of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It is our task to preach the gospel universally to every tongue and people regardless of class or rank. It is our mission to proclaim what God wants us to proclaim. So what he's saying here is there is going to be these things that we seem, Scripture says, that we cannot understand completely how they function and work together. And really, as we look at this passage, our goal is to see what Paul is saying and speaking to Timothy. And one thing he clearly says is God loves everyone. God wants everyone to know about him and his son Jesus. That's the desire of God. It's clear. We see it clearly in Uh, John 3.16, very familiar. For God so loved the world, he loved all of the world as as a group. And it says, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. His his work on the cross 
presented salvation to the whole world, but those who accept him are the ones who are getting that free gift. Have you accepted his free gift today? Have you accepted his free gift today? So what do we find in this passage in 1 Timothy is that his desire is for all people to know. He has an evangelistic mindset about him. He wants everyone to know. Another question for us today is, is that your desire? Do you truly align with God when it comes to telling other people about him and his son Jesus Christ? Do you desire that all people come to salvation? Also, do you desire that all people come to know the truth about the loving Jesus? Now, to be honest with you, this is a, it's a very tough thing to do. It's hard for us to personally keep in mind that all the people around us either have a relationship with Jesus or don't have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, it's difficult. Because you might at one point have an opportunity to have a conversation, but the next time that you talk with someone or, or around them, things seem to be fine. And you don't, you don't want to talk, or, you know, you don't want to stir things up. You don't, all those things come to your mind and you say, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I've talked to them once. That should be good enough. Okay? God wants everybody to come to a, an understanding of who Jesus is and need for them and, their, and, and the penalty of their sin. Sometimes I wish that God would make some sort of glasses I could put on. And as I put those glasses on, it would show me that person's an unbeliever. That person's an unbeliever. Right? Because if we could, if we could walk around with that mindset of really thinking, that person doesn't know Jesus. He might spend an eternity in hell and I could just shape my mind with that idea that they need Jesus. They need Jesus, I know who he is. He's helped me understand him. I have some, a message to give to them. They're going to hurt without it. They're going to hurt in this life and they're going to hurt for all of eternity if I don't do what I can to help them understand it. We know that it's not us that brings someone to salvation, but God does work through means. That means that he uses us. He wants to use us. He wants us to use our mouth to speak up to people. Tell them about Jesus. Convict them of sin. Not in, a, in an evil or bad way, but to say, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. We, we can't do anything ourselves without God. We need to be honest, but most of the time, we neglect evangelism. So, what are some reasons that we neglect evangelism? A couple thoughts for you. You can probably add your own to this list. Reasons we might neglect evangelism. We get scared about what people might do or think if we talk to them about Jesus. Yeah, that, that's something that, as a kid, seems to be more in our, in our head and mind. But even as we get to become adults, we don't want to stir up relationships. We don't want people to think weird about us or... or and those things can prevent us from really having open conversations about God and his son, Jesus Christ. We get comfortable, and we don't want to disturb our life and relationship with others. And we just get comfortable with even unsaved unbelievers that we have good relationships with, and we just don't want to mess that up. Another one is we get busy, and we don't make time for others. We get busy, and we all fall into this category from one time to the next. Our schedules get busy, our weeks get busy, and we just feel like, well, I don't have time to talk to my neighbor all the time. I don't have time to go out and have supper. I don't have time to go golfing with the unsaved person because that, that could be something that really I have an opportunity to, to witness to them. I just don't have time. We get too busy. 
Are we too busy to really give the message the way that Paul says to Timothy that the church should focus on that? Another one is we forget the terrible consequences of sin. We forget. Sometimes in our own mind we say, well, I, I know I'm, I'm saved. I know I don't have to worry about an eternity of torture and torment because God saved me. And we forget that the people around us that don't know Jesus, that is going to be their end. And it's not because God is evil. It's not because God is bad. It's because we are all sinners. We're all in the same boat and we cannot be in communion with a holy God. God cannot say to a, someone who holds on to their sin, I can let you into heaven. Come on up here. I'm just going to forget about it. Because they still have that sinful heart unless Jesus has, has, has taken care of that heart for them and changed it and covered them so they can be with God. We forget about the terrible consequences of sin. Lastly, we don't fully cherish what God did in salvation. That sounds like a hard thing for us to hear as believers. But when we don't take opportunities and try to make opportunities for telling people about Jesus, do we really understand how much God did for us in salvation? Do we really love him so much because he saved us? And do we cherish it? If we cherished it, we're going to want to tell people about it. There are things that I love a lot, lot less than salvation that I want to talk to people about, uh, sports or whatever it is that you love. It's easy for you to talk about, but if you love your Savior, you're going to want to talk to other people about it. And you're going to want to share it with them because you know that is the best for them. And that's one thing about even Christian uh, communication with one another. Uh, I've really enjoyed recently just the fellowship between brothers and sisters in Christ, having opportunities to pray or sit and talk with one another because what we're talking about is our Savior. And it, and it just encourages your heart. Maybe you're having a bad week. Maybe you're having uh, hard times you're going through. And you know what helps you the most is when you talk about God and you talk about Jesus. And, and this is what he wants. He wants evangelism to go out to the people around us because it's what's best for them and it's what God wants for them. That is God's desire, <clears throat> is, for, is for everyone to come to an understanding of salvation and, uh, and the truth about who Jesus is. So Paul challenges Timothy, pray, be a church of prayer, embrace the importance of prayer. Secondly, embrace the desires of God. And then he finishes with the third uh, emphasis here, embrace the truth of the gospel. And embrace the truth of the gospel. He goes from talking about God's desire for everyone to come to salvation to then say, okay, let's talk about what salvation is. Let's talk about who Jesus is. And he says, embrace the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 5. He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher and an apostle, um, I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He starts with this one clear, succinct statement, for there is one God. There is one God. Now, there's not many gods that are out there. There is one God that created the universe, created humanity, and our job is to figure out how to uh, get to the point where I can be with him and fulfill what he wanted for humanity. There is one God. He goes on to explain how we can have that relationship with God. It says, there is, uh, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. How is 
How can we have that connection with God? It is only through one person, and it is his Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one, but they're connected so closely that the only way for us to have a relationship with God is through Jesus. It's not through Mary. It's not through other religions. And you might have people say, oh, well, God, I believe there is one God, but there's multiple ways to get to that one God. You know, maybe it's Mohammed, maybe it's a different religion, but they all go to the same place. What do we find? We, we do not see that Christianity gives that message because it says there is one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That means if you're trying to have a relationship with God and you're going in any other means besides Jesus, it's not going to get you there. Jesus is the only one. And what does it say about Jesus? That he is a mediator. When I think about mediating, I think about counseling. I've had the opportunity to do different marriage counseling at different times. The mediator is someone who comes between two parties that are trying to reconcile them. Okay? That is who Jesus is for everyone who's accepted him. He is a mediator that brings us together with God. And it's only through Jesus. He's the mediator. What does it tell us about Jesus? It says he's the mediator, and the way that he mediates is that he gave himself as a ransom for all. It's like this. It's the idea that sin had everybody caught in a net, in a cage, whatever it is. He's guarding it. Sin would not let anybody go. And you know what? Jesus said, okay, I'll give myself to sin. I'm going to destroy it, demolish it, so that everybody else that's in this cage that believes in me can go free. He paid the ransom so that everyone who believes in his name can go free. But if you don't believe in Jesus, if you haven't accepted him, then you're still caught. You're still caught in sin. Sin that will not let you go. It's going to take you further than you want. You've heard it said before. Deeper than you want to go, and it's not going to satisfy. A life of sin. So, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, help the church embrace the truth of the gospel. It revolves around Jesus. It's how do we get to God. It's through the mediator, only Jesus. He's the mediator. He paid a ransom, and his life was real. Look at, look at the rest of the passage there. He gave himself as a ransom, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The testimony is this idea of what is true, what is real, what is verifiable. Jesus Christ was a real person. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection have been verified by Scripture, by multiple people. And the message of Jesus Christ and his resurrection could have easily been done away with if there was truth behind the fact that it didn't happen. You know, the scripture tells us that multiple people saw him, not just his disciples, multiple people in Jerusalem at the time, up to 500 people at a time, saw him after he died on the cross. And it was, it was obvious that he died. The Romans put him to death in a very public, very verifiable way. And three days later, he defeated sin. He rose. And, and he provided salvation for all who would believe in him. Have you believed in him? Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the one who has done everything that we need to get to God, our Father. John 14, 5 and 6 says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, his work on the cross, has paid our penalty, has given us an opportunity 
to, to have that relationship. Have you accepted him today? The gift, the free gift is always offered. He wants you to accept it. Give your life to him. Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says this, And being found in the form, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under heaven. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What does this passage tell us? It says that every knee will bow. In this life or in the next, in this life we are going to humble ourselves and tell God, God, I am a sinner. I am in need of a Savior. I cannot save myself. And only your work on the cross can save me. But if it's not in this life, God will humble us. You will be, you will be placed before God for you to answer, why should I let you into heaven? And if the answer is, Anything more than Jesus paid my work on the cross so that I can be with you, he is going to say, away from me, I never knew you. You might have known my name, you might have heard the story, but if your heart truly didn't accept me, away from me, I never knew you. You will bow before him and acknowledge that Jesus is who he says he is, but it will be in a sense of being cast away from God. God doesn't want that for anybody. The text tells us that his desire is for everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, his son, and the truth. He, Paul says to Timothy, have this message be at the heart of your church. Help it to be about the gospel. And as your believers, your Christians, as you hear that message time and time again, don't get sick of it. Return to it because it reminds us that we need a savior. And Jesus, he didn't just save us once, but continually he, he is there to help us throughout our life. He's there always for you. He knows that we're not good enough to, to, to become like him. We need his help. Turn to him often. We were reminded today, Paul tells Timothy, don't leave God out of your personal life and of your church life. Don't leave him out. And the way that we do that is embrace the importance of prayer, embrace the desires of God, and embrace the truth of the gospel. Don't leave these aspects out. And we're going we're gonna to dive even more into what Paul is teaching Timothy how his church needs to really focus on the things that are important so that they can grow in a life with God. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for our time this morning. Help these uh, words from your passage, Lord, to dig into our heart. Help them to challenge us and ask ourselves um, where we're failing in these areas and where we can come to you for, for help and growth. God, we do want to be a people that pray, come to you often. We, put, we think of the people that are in our community. God, we, we ask that you give us opportunities to teach them about your son, Jesus Christ, in our personal relationships with people that we um, work with or run into, Lord. Help us to uh, foster those ideas of wanting to tell them about you. God, we do pray for our officials. We pray for the president, that the decisions he makes, and even our uh, local officials, that the decisions they make will allow us to be believers that follow after you and don't have to endure persecution. And God, that the decisions they make will even please you, even if they don't even know that they're pleasing you. God, we, we pray for them so that we can get your message out. God, we want it to be a part of our church that we're all about you. You're at the heart, Lord. Help it to be um, what we think of each and every week as we meet and as we leave uh, from this place and have our weeks in our personal lives, Lord. Help it to be about you. 
Thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.